Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcross. In this week's edition of Insight, it's a perfect storm of news headlines, and I was able to submit 10 puns into my intro, hoping they made editorial approval. No pun in 10 did. It's been a while since we mentioned business interruption, but much like long fairy tales, they have a tendency to dragon. Quality of advice reviewer, Michelle Levy has penned an open letter, but I think she's used a broken pencil. I think it's pointless. And our overworked and underpaid legal team are waiting to hear how I use the words pull out and Catholic Church in the very same sentence. Hello everyone, this week I'm joined by Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Editor John Deeks, Senior Journalist Miranda Maxwell and Chairman Terry McMahon. Good morning Terry. Good morning. Thanks for explaining the word many to me earlier, it means a lot. (laughs) Oh Andrew, right, thank you. That's three down, a few more to go. Hello John. Hi. Hey John, do you like German sausage jokes? Uh, Not especially. Me neither. They're the worst. Hi, Miranda. Good morning. Did you know I was colourblind? I did not. Um, It's all I can think is, do we need a content warning on this podcast? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, probably. Well, look, I didn't realise I was colourblind either. The news came to me completely out of the green. (laughs) Hello, Wendy. Hello, Andrew. That's it. I'm done. Now, Wendy, you've had a busy morning. We have had a busy morning, yes. Yep. So let's cover that breaking news. IAG announces the departure of two key executives. Who's on the way out? IAG says CFO Michelle McPherson will retire by the end of the year and that Chief Insurance and Strategy Officer Tim Plant will leave um, on June 30. So Michelle's been at IAG since um, early 2020 and formally became CFO from November that year. So she'll stay on while the search to find a new CFO is uh, completed. Tim joined in uh, 2021 in a newly created role. He'd previously headed up Zurich's uh, general insurance operations, but IAG says it's now uh, consolidating its group functions uh, to better support its uh, direct intermediated and New Zealand operations. What do you make of this, Terry? I think in the the case of the CFO, it's just a case of, you know, the normal transitions. But in the case of Tim Plant, that's interesting. He's one of a a number of, of you know, highly regarded senior executives in the industry who I can think of who seem to bounce from company to company. They, they make things happen and then they move on. He's been in key roles over the past 10 or 15 years at Elders, QBE, Zurich, and now IAG. And I don't doubt we'll see him pop up somewhere else where change management is needed. He's a really good operator. Or Wendy, on other news, while attempting not to giggle like an immature schoolboy, Catholic Church Insurance has pulled out of workers' compensation. And the future of the insurer appears to be in some doubt. What do we know about this story? Well, on Friday, they put out a statement saying that CCI is discussing with shareholders the, the closure of new and renewal general insurance business in the absence of a you know more, more capital coming in. It stressed it was solvent currently and able to pay staff, suppliers and claims and make further announcements once it had finalised discussions with shareholders. But following on from that, it said it would cease offering uh, workers' compensation cover from June 29. So on our existing claims or those that arise from current policies but won't be doing any new business or renewals, CCI says the decision there reflects the significant um, financial challenges it's experiencing in that line of business. But the other context here is the issue CCI is facing as a result of liabilities from abuse claims, which it refers to as professional standards claims and which continue to be um, to be made. So it, it's taken uh, action to, to bolster its um, capital position. But, you know, 
know, as of the end of last financial year, that was still below their target range. Well, it wouldn't be a great surprise if large numbers of professional standards claims had put this particular insurer under pressure, would it, Terry? Yeah, I guess so. Look, I I survived Catholic school with only the usual mental scars. (laughs) I was an ugly little schoolboy. But CCI has been around since 1911. And when you look at it in the the context of of this year, it, it has a clientele made up of, I'll read it, churches and parishes, schools and colleges, aged care and welfare. It's like reciting a list of places where you'll always find potential accidents and injuries and and mental health problems. So a small insurer like CCI with limited capital, staff and, and really limited resources as well, would find workers' comp increasingly expensive to service. So they're doing what insurers always do when a class of business keeps bleeding money. They sell it or move it on somehow. But in this case, there's also been plenty of very broad hints from CCI that it could put itself into runoff if its shareholders, who you have to assume as the Catholic Church, don't dig deep. But you only put in more capital if it's only going to make the business viable in the long term. And that's their problem. Well, John, Quality of Advice reviewer Michelle Levy has penned an open letter urging the federal government to act on her recommendations. What exactly is she saying? Well, that's right. And just as a bit of background, as we know, the Quality of Advice review was a recommendation of the Hain Royal Commission. And in Ms. Levy's final report, she recommends an overhaul of the personal advice definition and change to the current best interest duty and disclosure documentation. As an aside, she also recommends that general insurance commissions are allowed to continue. For the most part, the industry loves the report, but consumer groups hate it. And the government, so far, has done next to nothing about it. It received the report in December and said more consultation is required. But Ms Levy has had enough of waiting and is not going to stay silent, publishing an open letter in the AFR on consumer groups. She has quite a lot to say about their opposition. In her letter, she says that she's worried that the consumer groups might succeed in, in in spite of the fact that what they're asking for is not in the interests of the consumers they are meant to represent. And she's also somewhat dismayed by the apparent weight given to their views. On the government, she's just worried about these recommendations languishing on the minister's iPad, as she puts it, and she worries about bargains and compromises. These are bad outcomes for consumers, she writes, and you will excuse me if I'm a little intemperate in my own language. So, yeah, she's put pen to paper. She's not going to sit back and just wait while nothing happens, and I guess we'll see what the government's response is. Well, Terry, do you like the way she's upping the ante, or, uh, as I said, is it pointless or could it backfire? Well, plenty of these kind of reports do, you know, sort of die from lack of attention in the the political process. And if the consumer groups are kicking up a fuss about it, it makes things rather more difficult because there is a fair bit of activism in the political end, I guess, when it comes to consumer stuff. But look, she works independently and it's not like she's demanding everybody march on parliament and 
do a Trump and fight like hell. She's keeping the issue in front of the politicians. And you hang in there, Michelle, because from what I can see, she's she's done a really impressive job with the review. So, yeah, let's just get on with it and keep it up in front of the politicians. Well, we've had complaints from our listeners that it's been a while since we talked business interruption, Wendy. Oh, sorry. We've had no complaints from our listeners that it's been a while since we talked business interruption, Wendy, but some significant rulings are now coming out of AFCA. Yeah, AFCA had been waiting for the industry legal test cases to be finalised before deciding on a number of disputes. So that's now done. So we've got a couple of decisions from them related to uh, dental practices that had claims rejected. So these were uh, policies with hybrid wordings and AFCA has agreed the insurer doesn't have to pay. So the reasoning is that, you know, while the government did order general shutdowns and there may well have been COVID cases within 20 Ks of the dental practices, the government shutdown wasn't directly caused by those cases near the dental practices. And it was a decision made sort of on wider grounds. Um, and as well as that, the the, um, the government ordered shutdowns were aimed at non-essential businesses and didn't refer to dentists. And other advice, such as from the Australian Dental Association, didn't meet the requirement for orders to come from a government public or statutory authority. One of the claims in any case. The uh, policy has an exclusion citing an emergency declared under the Biosecurity Act, so that would have prevented cover anyway. Well, John, long-term listeners will know that I have no idea what's going on with these business interruption test cases. How do you read these rulings? Well, yeah, from what Wendy was saying there, um, when 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 you hear that, uh, you know, there was a government-ordered shutdown, tick, there was an outbreak within 20 kilometres, tick, but the, the, the claim still not being paid because the shutdown wasn't a direct result of the outbreak. You could see this as a sort of classic example of where people have suffered a loss, but a claim's not going to be paid because of so-called fine print. But on the flip side, while we have a lot of sympathy with all those people in similar situations, we have to remember that insurance is not designed to cover every eventuality. It's a contract. And the wording of these contracts has been examined by some of the highest courts in the land. And all AFCA is really doing is, is is just following that guidance set down by those test cases. And let's not forget the fact that if insurers paid out for every client who suffered a loss during COVID, the industry would be bankrupt. Well, Miranda, time to wake up. A new Gallagher re-report suggests we're heading into a new era for InsureTech. What do they mean? Well, this report shows a very healthy rebound in funding, 37%. It was up in the first quarter. That was after a horror year last year when we had uh, around a third of Insutex globally estimated to have gone bust. You know, investors really abandoned the space. It's been such an extreme and bumpy ride for this sector. And Gallagher Re has talked about how Insutex had overpromised and tried to revolutionise traditional insurance, but that often failed and ended in many cautionary tales. Uh, so this first quarter report is saying that after that reset last year, when business plans were overhauled and the costs cut and reality sank in, that this year is going to be the start of a new and more stable Insutex era we will probably just see a nice gently rising trend in funding again, which is what we had before those heady 2021 days. 
And it's partly because insurers and brokers are more and more willing to adopt technology. How do you see this issue evolving locally, John? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, back when InsurTech first became a, a real buzzword, we were all looking out for the the so-called Uber of insurance, that dramatic development that was going to spell disaster for all the traditional incumbents. And that just hasn't happened and it may never happen. Uh, it seems to be more about uh, hundreds of collaborations between the dominant companies with market share and the smart people who are trying to help them move into the modern age. If you read our insure tech section every week, uh, You'll see there's plenty going on in this sector from exciting new startups to what the major players are up to. In this week, Miranda did a really interesting interview with IAG COO about their army of time-saving bots that uh, apparently is saving them 150,000 hours of manual work a year. Well, Wendy, Tower has had to cut profit guidance off the back of recent catastrophes in New Zealand. How serious is this? Well, they're forecasting a first half net loss of around $3 million. They won't pay an interim dividend and they've lowered the full year underlying net profit guidance as well. So, you know, this follows a big jump in their estimate for claims costs from the Auckland floods and the impact of claims from Cyclone Gabriel. And it's also had claims from a couple of cyclones in Vanuatu. But Tower says the average claims cost for the Auckland and Upper North Island disaster will be around double that for other recent uh, large weather events because in this catastrophe, uh, deeper waters uh, in higher density areas caused more damage, contamination and landslides. Well, Miranda, IAG has also outlined some claim figures that show the scale of these events, haven't they? They have. IAG's claims jumped fivefold to more than 41,000 between September and February in New Zealand. And the Cyclone, Gabriel and Auckland flood claims are each above 20,000 now. Those two events generated more weather-related claims than IAG had received in the previous two and a half years. So it really illustrates how devastating it was that Auckland and other population centres weren't spared this time. And it's really challenging for insurers in New Zealand and their bottom lines. All these were unprecedented weather events for New Zealand. Terry, do you think the industry was caught off guard? Oh, look, you know, everybody was caught off guard. It was unprecedented in the same way that the eastern states' floods in Australia were unprecedented. Um, We're seeing worldwide that extreme weather events are becoming more common and more extreme, and the response from insurers everywhere is taking time. It's just as a result of the size of some of these uh, catastrophes. Tower is the third largest insurer in New Zealand behind IAG and Suncorp. And you'd really expect that the tower would feel the financial impact, I guess, because it's a much smaller company. It, it feels it more abruptly than it, it the t- big two Australian companies, which, which have deeper reserves and reinsurance arrangements. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Miranda Maxwell, John Deeks, Wendy Pugh and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.